Blog Talk Radio. that I got was that 
the main event, uh, it, it seemed like, one, it was a good showing for Gunnar Miller in that, I mean, I'll just be blunt. It seemed like Bill the Butcher, maybe, you know, it was so overwhelming, like having his first sacred ground and entrance and all of that stuff, that he was, it sounded like he was blown up a little bit and that Gunnar Miller basically carried that match. I mean, not to be harsh, but uh, would that be an accurate assessment of what happened? I think it would be accurate to say that the that the match was as good as the match was was based on Gunnar Miller. Yes, I would agree with that. That what, uh, he, he I mean, made what the a, match. What a development, Larry! Can you believe what that guy has done in basically a little more than a year's time? No, it's no really. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on a spot with a question, Larry. Um. Is is Gunnar Miller going to be available to wrestle in the Indies in a year? Boy, that's a good question. Because because of how far he's come in these last 12 months. It's like he turned a corner and suddenly got a lot better and just continues to get a lot better. I guess it was one of those things where it, because of, you know, his limited experience in wrestling and so forth, it took him time to integrate as good of um, feedback as he was getting and coaching as yeah. he was getting. It took time to integrate it. But once he <laughs> started to integrate it, I mean, the guy has really gone to a completely different level as a, as a performer. So and, um, no, and no homo, he looks fantastic. I mean, when he yeah. puts up the pictures of him working out lately, there is a he was always an in-shape guy. He was always yeah. a large guy. He's an incredibly strong guy. I think he's one of these guys that is strong, athletically strong, and now he works out hard on top of all of it. He's just an incredibly strong guy, but he looks cut and defined. I mean, and he's a good-looking dude to begin with. And, man, I don't know. It just seems like there's a real upside there. Yeah, I mean, you know, so so as far as him going to uh, WWE, getting signed, I mean, the thing is, you know, there's tons of guys that look really good that are just as big and strong. Uh, and the thing that he has now that he didn't have a year ago is he can do it in the ring. Yeah, I mean, he's he he can go in the ring, and he's believable. He's credible. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I, I think he, I mean I. Saw- I thought he was a good promo, too, when I looked at the stuff that he's been doing in Anarchy. Uh, yeah. I think he's a pretty good promo. And yeah. um, that's another that's another sort of new wrinkle, if you will, in his game in the last year. And um, it's, it's exciting to see. It's always exciting to, like, see guys develop who have a, who have a real chance of making a living doing this thing. So that's that's super cool. Were, were you shocked that the best match was the scramble? Uh, completely. I, I, did not go, I, did, I did not have high expectations for the scramble, and it just blew me away. With, it was so entertaining. E, ERC, man, I mean, that guy is gone from – I mean, I can't that, – that, that guy is like a legitimately strong performer – when he was kind of a joke a few years ago, but man, is that yes. guy come along a long way? But uh, yeah, I guess one other thing I wanted to say about Sacred Ground is it was it, yeah, it was one of those things where more issues were um, 
set up for the future than there were settled, which may have made it a little different than some of the previous sacred grounds. A lot more setting up. Um, so, which is which could be very good for PCW. Yes, good things ahead, definitely. And you, you know, Hankins and I, of course, and you know, out of prying ears, have sort of talked about. Uh, Larry, put it this way: there's already stuff loosely booked for Sacred Ground Nine and Sacred Ground Ten. Well, as, as, as Matt said on last week's show, when he subbed for you, he said, you know. He, he basically, this was laid out a year ago, and everything except one thing came to came to fruition, which is pretty yeah. pretty damn impressive. I'm I'm gonna take at least partial credit for that. That's you know definitely a, a thing that I always tried to do is have that sort of booking way in the future. I just I just feel like it makes for much better storytelling and much more even storytelling. So, um, well, let's, this is, let's I, talk about a couple more things on the on the local scene. One, this is one that yeah. have, have failed to do for a long, long time, and that's props to Antron Brewer for getting uh, the spot with uh, NXT as a, as a ref. Yes, that's that's a big, big deal. And whoa, creepy. Um, you know, good refs are few and far between, and. You know, certainly he's made strides as a ref, and anytime you can get an NXT deal, it's pretty impressive. This this background stuff is getting really freaking annoying. Uh, also, and uh, Kara Hogan uh, getting a spot with uh, Impact with TNA, GFW, whatever it's called now. But on on other uh, on another note, you know, UIW. Evidently is going to return to West Georgia after their foray into the brief foray, I guess two shows, into Alabama. And this is an interesting way of um, promoting a show. So they've announced a date, a title for the show, and there's some promo material up for the show and ticket prices, but no location. When when is the show supposed to happen? Uh, October the 28th, called West Georgia Blood. I can't say that I do. West Georgia Blood. Wow. West Georgia Blood. Larry, it sounds like what it's doing is it's just running through all of the the promos that we had in the queue. So I wonder if something needs to be stopped. I don't know. Anyway, but... But yeah, UIW. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess it would behoove them to announce it, <laughs> to announce the venue sometime a month before the show would probably be a good idea. Do, do you think it's it's a promotional tactic, or do you think they just don't have a venue lined up yet? Well, I, I mean, I really don't know. I haven't talked to Stan or anybody there, and uh, they. I saw previously a post requesting ideas for the event to for where to put the show which is another interesting way of doing a show yeah ask the fans where where the show should be i don't i don't know that i've ever seen it done that way does anybody have a space they can (laughs) oh wow so um uh, like so that's uiw um another thing of local interest is um so awe's next show what's going on with that well, they're returning to the Marietta Events Center 
uh, this Sunday. And they also, uh, as did uh, Southern Fried, has lost the services of Martin Stone for the weekend. Apparently he's doing oh. uh, NXT. So okay. ne- neither sh- neither show. So um, I don't know what AWE is doing. What Southern Fried is doing is going with Chip Day versus uh, Corey Hollis in that spot. Oh, Instead I mean, Hollis that's, a, versus Stone. That, that's a match. That's a match that seen before, but I would definitely watch again as many times as they wanted to do it. So. Right. Right. The the other things that uh, of note for the AW card is they're bringing in the progressive liberal. Are they really? Yes, the progressive liberal is booked for AWE this Sunday in Marietta at the Marietta Event Center. Um, nice. So, yeah. Uh, Submission Squad make their first tag title defense. Carnies versus Indy Card Mafia. Looks like Owen Knight and Sugar Dunkerton versus some version of the hierarchy. Uh, the poster shows Darby Allen and Joe Black on it. Uh, two women's matches, Priscilla Kelly and Arya Blake, and Isla Dawn versus Camilla Kane. And Josh Wheeler will have, or someone, will have four announcements regarding this is, this is the kickoff of AWE Season 4. And there will okay. be four, announce, four announcements. So that's what I know, and it's a 4.05 starting time this Sunday. Oh, okay. So, so I, I guess it's an attempt to sort of stay away from the pay-per-view, I would gather. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, what's going on? Well, you know, we're going to have Drew Blood on to talk about his feud with Todd Sexton involving Todd Sexton's wife. Now, Larry, can you can you give us a little background on that? Because, I mean, that's an old-fashioned, like, Memphis Heat type of angle. And, I mean, you've gotten to witness it. What, what kind of reaction is it getting? And, you know, how does, it, how does it seem to be fitting in with the whole Southern Fried vibe? Well, it's certainly something different for them. I thought the... the the um the big angle uh deal where uh he uh, <laughs> professed that Kelly had a thing for him and kissed her and she slapped him and then he busted Todd's mouth open uh and beat the hell out of his trainee was was quite a deal because it, it took him from a from a comedy guy to a to a serious heat getter there. Um, I mm-hmm. thought it was quite a quite a thing. Now, what exactly this is based on with him? And uh, he, he basically he says that he's he's had Todd's had a problem with him. Uh, Todd says he, blood, you know, he's had a problem with blood ever since the two of them around, you know, were were there together, and that it's it stemmed from all of that. And there's been a number of things building up to this. The big thing where he where he kissed Kelly before you know before we got to that point. So yeah, I think it's pretty pretty strong stuff. It's been both both uh, on a serious level and just on a pure entertainment level. Yes, and I, I mean, you know, we're going to have Drew Blood on as a guest. He's, he's a very entertaining guy, so I'll be curious to see how he comes across in the interview format. And then hopefully, not hopefully, at the end of the hour, we'll take some time to talk about uh, Bobby Heenan as well. Um, his his passing within the last few days is certainly. Uh, struck a deep chord with me, uh, but we'll get to that later. I think we do have 
the man himself, Southern Fried Championship Wrestling's Drew Blood, is on the line. How's it going, Larry? Mr. Blood, welcome to the Tipping Point. Hello. Stephen, how are you doing? Good, Drew. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Have y'all done, uh, y'all talked about Bobby yet? Not yet. Not no, yet. we're 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 kind of doing that at the end of the show. But please, if oh, you have okay. something you'd like to say about Heenan, please yeah, I have go a, ahead. I have a uh, personal anecdote about uh, Bobby Heenan. When I first started wrestling about 2003, mid 2003, I had just gotten done training with Adrian down in Florida, and my whole goal was to be like a wrestling manager, just like Bobby, because Bobby was my hero. And he had a website at the time. I had just got done. I had a couple matches. And um, I emailed him on his website. You could contact Bobby and ask the brain and all this stuff. Because when he had his books and stuff out. But anyway, so I emailed him. I was like, hey, I uh, just got started wrestling. Uh, I don't know if you'd be interested in, like, training or having a seminar or something for managers. I don't know, you know, how that would work or anything like that. And I told him my gimmick, which I had a 1,500 SAT score, but I was going to be Mr. 1,600. Right? So that was, like, my whole thing. I was going to be this, like, genius manager, just like the brain. Anyway, mm-hmm. he calls me. I gave him my phone number. He calls me, and if you know or knew about Bobby, Bobby was a pretty big drinker, so you could tell he had been drinking. And he calls me. He's like, well, I want to talk to Mr. 1600. I was like, well, this is me. This is Bobby Heenan. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Bobby Heenan's calling me. I can't believe Bobby Heenan's calling me. <laughs> and, um, oh. I was, well, anyway, so uh, how much are you willing to pay me to, uh, you know, train you? And I was like, well, I don't know. You know, I was like, I, you know, I just got done training. I paid Adrian Street. $1,500, you know, that was like for life. So I, I don't know, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars from the afternoon. I'm not sure. He's like, he blew up. He said, good afternoon. I was 40 years in this business. Do you have to give me $40,000 for the information I would give you? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, you know, I didn't mean to offend you, you know, just an email. And I was like, well, I, you know, I apologize. He's like, you're a effing, I don't know if I can cut something. You're an effing mark. You're an effing mark. Get a job with a pension. And I was like, Okay. And so he, I hung up, you know, I was like, <laughs> but it was really cool. Like, I was like, well, what else about the, you know, Bobby the brain do? He's not going to call me nice. So I was like, I was actually really flattered, but I took his advice. I did get a job with a pension. So, anyway, so he, he, directed my, he directed my path. So, you know, everybody's like, oh, did you, are you mad? Are you mad? I'm like, no, I'm not mad. I was like, you know, like marking out huge. Like I got cussed out by Bobby Heenan. Like he actually, this is before cell phones. So, you know, he had to like actually pay like a long distance he paid. Right. Him, so. He had to commit to yeah. that call. <laughs> yeah, right. he, had to, he was really into it, but it was funny. So uh, that's my Bobby Hina story. Here, I have a, I have a question, Drew, off of that story. Let's yeah. say you had forty thousand dollars. Would you have given Bobby Hina forty thousand dollars to been trained? No, by? because I'm not a mark. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I would not. Have. Hey, but I appreciated the call. You know, I always I actually emailed him. Um, that's before I knew he had uh, he had cancer. He came out maybe a few months later, a year I forget when he came out. But anyway, um, so I emailed him back, and I was like, you probably don't remember you called me drunk one night and uh, told me to get a job with a pension. I'm just letting you know that I did. You know, and he uh, never responded that back to that. But anyway, so that's my hey, that's my Bobby Heenan tribute. We can't go any further without me asking you about training with Adrian Street. Yeah, absolutely. What do you want to know? It was great. Um, you know, he, Adrian is a businessman, so he doesn't care. You know, he wasn't trying to weed people out or anything. But I was actually the only guy down there. Um, this was, yeah, mid-2003. So I had uh, – yeah, it ties back in with Mr. Todd Sexton here in a minute. But I had gone up to uh, Wildside 
uh, train. I didn't really dig the way that Todd did things there. So I saved my pennies and I went down to Adrian. I lived, uh, he had a apartment building and, uh, a ring in the back. He actually had two rings, so like a shed with a bunch of weights. And then he had his, this like old, it had like a cement base. I don't know. It was yes. really stiff. And, um, so it was like underneath this, uh, old, like a garage thing anyway. And, uh, he come out there and it was all psychology. You know, he showed me some British stuff and, you know, the basics, how to lock up and how to do the basics, but it was all, you know, this is how you present yourself. This is how you package yourself. This is what you do when you show up. This is how you, you know, this is, this is how you get over. And that's, it was basically that for, wow. So it was great. I mean, it's just me too. Like it was just like for like four hours a day, like every day. So it was a, I learned a tremendous amount doing that. So I'll always be indebted. That was the best $1,500 ever spent. That's awesome. Like here's a rhetorical question for the peanut gallery. What's mm-hmm. up with old guys and fucking concrete in the base of the ring? Like I, I have no like <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, have I mean no many idea. a ring. Like I guess it's just like, well, no one will steal it or they, this way it won't slide. I, that was a big deal with like Vader had a ring in Colorado and his thing was like, well, I just don't like when the ring slides. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Adrian didn't like abuse guys, you know, like, so when I first showed up there, I had done a couple lessons up at Wildside with Todd. And, um, so he asked me, he's like, well, do you know how to bump make? And I was like, yeah. You know, so I did it. And I was like, oh, like, and thank God he never asked me to do it again. Cause Adrian wasn't going to bump, you know, he didn't bump in his prime. I mean, he bumped more in Britain. Right. Absolutely. But, right. Yeah. But you know, mm-hmm. when he came over here, he was already over 40. So he wasn't doing nothing. So, and that was actually, you know, that was a great lesson. A lot of guys, I'm in really good health, and I've been doing it now for going on 15 years, 14 years. And uh, a lot of guys, you know, by this time they're limping around and everything. But I've learned, you know, be sparing. With I mean, I bump a lot, but you know, I make it I'm trying to make them count. So Todd Sexton, you brought him up. Yeah. Um, I you know, I was I uh, you know Larry gave me a little bit of a primer, Drew, but I want to hear from your your mouth. What's the deal with Todd Sexton? I mean, it's by pretty your simple. side of it. Well, it's pretty simple. Charles uh, had a fledgling operation there with uh, mixed results a few years ago, and he was uh, looking for someone to turn it around. And I guess Todd was available. You know, I don't. I never. I've maybe wrestled three, four times up there in Cornelia, and I was never over. You know, overwhelmed with it. But uh, anyway, he brought Todd down and. Todd has his crew of guys, and, you know, I said, you know, hey, you want any help with anything? And he just kind of nose in the air about everything. And I was like, and he kind of said, look, I'm not really familiar with you. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, I understand why you're saying that, but I think that says more to you than it does to me because I've been a pretty big deal, you know, around here for a while, and you're just uh, insulated up there in that little barn. But anyway, just kind of, you know, I was getting put in garbage stuff. I was having to wrestle women, and I was having to wrestle uh, ladder matches and things like that, like, that my talents probably could have been better used elsewhere or doing something else. And, uh, you know, anyway, and his wife, you know, flirts with me all the time. I mean, she's always like, well, I just love it when you get on the microphone. You're so funny. Oh, you're so, I like that you come out to different songs all the time. I don't come, can you come out to this song? Can you come out to this? So finally I was, you know, just things just came to a head. She hadn't flirted with me before. And then she kind of, I don't know, I guess she freaked out. But it will all be uh, reconciled here on Saturday. What, Drew, what was your reaction from what Larry described? 
you kissed her, and then mm. she hit you. Did that hit surprise you, did, or was it something you were expecting? Like, what was your what was the thought going through your head when she hit you? Well, have you ever been uh, surprised at what you expected? You know, like it happened, and I was like, oh, I can't believe that just happened. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, okay, you know, she's a flake. But uh, yeah, you know, wow, she was embarrassed, you know, and she didn't. But uh, she had no backbone. She's got other things going on, but you know, she's uh, she's real fragile about how she's presented to the public. So I guess that just took her by. But you know, the thing is, I got what I wanted out of it anyway, which was Todd. You know, I had I had to break that poor trainee's ankle because Todd wouldn't come out. I sat there. I mean, Larry was at the show. I sat there forever. I sang a dang song. I came out singing a song, and you know, wanted Todd to come out. And this kid comes out. I have no idea who he is. And I'm like, okay. So I break the kid's ankle. Nothing happens. Todd still doesn't come out. So I'm like, what do I have to do to get this guy out here? Anyway, it all, like I said, he came out, he got what was coming to him, and we got what we wanted. He's going to he retired, whatever. He stepped away from his duties at the next show, but then he kind of he has to get his last hurrah in. I think that's Todd's MO is always like a last hurrah. Like things are going well, so I'm going to kind of make a last hurrah for myself as I ride out into the sunset. <laughs> Um, Larry, That's before it. you get a question, and I have, I have one more, uh, you know, just about – I'm just trying to, like, sort of get the full picture of Drew and Todd. Give me three words. You can take a little time and think about it, but give me three words to describe Todd Sexton Todd in your eyes. Were you asking me or Larry? I'm sorry, I was looking at the neighbor blowing off the driveway. Oh, I, I'm, I'm asking you, Drew. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you. Yes, Todd please. Sexton. Okay. Um, here's a compound word. Overrated, um, underwhelming, uh, pale. Those would be the three words. Wow, Larry, please, do you have a question? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, every time, pretty much, I've seen you, uh, Drew. You have some sort of a shtick or routine. You, you're gonna, you, you do. And mm-hmm. they're always different. And I just wondered how much of that is uh, of what you do is like planned out, thought out, and how much is just spontaneity. You come out there and boom, you do it. Um, whatever I say is pretty much just whatever I feel like saying when I get out there. That's pretty much. Um, but you know, obviously, I, if I'm buying beach balls and balloons and sparklers or whatever else I'm buying, I'm having to think about that ahead of time. But, you know, that all comes from Adrian, you know. Uh, guys go in there and they're kind of, you know, this guy's a, you know, fruitcake. He's out here giving out fans, you know, whatever, beach balls and balloons and bubbles and he's singing songs and he's, you know, so they come in sort of, you know, just like Todd, like thinking it's a big joke. So. But as you said, I was listening briefly, uh, the connection, y'all had some kind of like background noise going on, but, uh, you know, Todd, uh, he found out, you know, a few months ago that I can flip the switch if I have to. So he'll find that out again on Saturday. Along those lines, Drew, like um, Todd's obviously going to come into this match with emotion on his side. Obviously he's, you know, mm-hmm. spitting oh, fire. It's not on his side. Yeah. It's, it's not, not on his side. side. No, Why is that? It is because it's working against him. See, we're I've, I've said this, you know, a million times, but, you know, Todd's mm-hmm. playing checkers, and he's playing checkers angry. But we're playing chess, and we're playing chess calmly. And uh, so we have a long game. You know, we're not going to get 
little small obstacles, you know, aren't going to frustrate us or throw us off our path. Whereas Todd, I mean, you know, he's all in flames. So, yeah, he's going to come out there, and he might have a few minutes of some energy, but when the, the obstacles get going, he's not going to have a plan. It's all going to fall apart. So I'm, I don't think the emotion is going to be on his side. I love I just I just love a clash of style kind of matchup. I I mean I think it's gonna be great. Larry, please another question. Um bad comedy is bad and bad wrestling comedy is really bad. I agree. But you have a flair for it. Did did you have any background in or do you have any background in acting, comedy, anything of that nature? Um well it's kind of, it's not like a background. I mean, like in high school, I did theater. I did some community theater and stuff like that. And um, I've done comedy since I've started wrestling. I have done some stand-up stuff. Um, but it's it's kind of, rest, it's similar uh, sort of stuff, you know, they, uh, not that creative. But, um, yeah, I I really approach, I mean, this is, and this is for real. Like, I, I don't necessarily look at it like comedy per se. As I look at it, like, I think of, like, I'm really big into concerts. Like, I like to go to all the big, I like Rolling Stones. I go to, yeah. like, Garth Brooks. I go to all that stuff. I like how they transition from song to song. I like the lights going down, like, lights coming up. I like how what they work the crowd. And that's really what I think of it like a concert. That's why I always come out of different songs and stuff like that. So, the comedy, I think, is just me. Like, because it's not funny to me. Like, it really isn't. Like, I mean, it's goofy, but it's really, like, like what I'm thinking, that's how it comes out. Like, and everyone's like, oh, it's so funny. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> But like, I, I really, that's just what I thought would be fitting here. So, I don't know. It's more of just like a twisted. Oh, I hate people say twisted because like they're complimenting themselves. But I'm not really complimenting. I'm just saying it's like, I think I'm just too dumb to realize that it's funny. Uh, Drew, you know, um, one of the things I hate the most in uh, wrestling right now is indie guys posting on Facebook, "Who do you want to see me wrestle?" So I'm going to just go, <laughs> who's, oh, yeah. who's somebody that you've seen on the Georgia scene or read about or even met that you haven't gotten to work who you would be interested in working, either as, as having a tag team partner or um, against you in the ring? Yeah, that's, a, that's something I've actually been thinking about because I don't know – I don't keep up with it. Like, it's, it's been, since I've been a Southern Fraud, I was – I wrestled here and there for hmm. like a year and a half um, when I moved up to Greenville. Um and I've been primarily down in South Georgia and Florida and stuff like that. So, like, the North Georgia Indies, it's like its own little world, you know. And so anything outside of it, a lot of times people aren't aware of. But, uh, I, you know, there's lots of guys that came up with me, like Logan Creed. I was pretty instrumental in, in I, I would hope, you know, in his early development. Uh, Sugar Dunkerton started with us uh, down in Lyons. We ran a weekly TV show. So, like, that was – it's fun to see those guys doing well. Um, but – uh you know, I, Michael Judas, really, I like, like you say, clashes of styles. So, like, yeah. guys that, uh, you know, and he's been around long enough where, you know, I think we can we could do something nice. Um, who else? I've been thinking about this. Jeter until he punched me. I said, oh, maybe I don't want to do that. But, uh, and then smaller guys. I want, you know, I really, when Todd first came, I was big on uh, going with Justin Legend who, you know, really has not created, you know, he, I think he's getting hmm. better and he's figuring himself out. But really, I like that. You know, I like that, okay, this guy's not as over as we'd like him or maybe he's, he needs some polishing. Like, let me let me do it, you know. I'd love for him to get a huge reaction and say, yeah, it's because he worked with me. 
So a lot of guys that Cody uh, McCauley, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I would love to work with Cody. McCauley. Yeah. So um, those kind of guys, Cody Jack. Yeah. Like give me Cody Jack any day of the week. So guys like that really is probably not what I'd really like to do. I mean, guys that are really great. I mean, I don't need to work them. I mean, who, you know, they're already doing their thing. So what's the point? So I really don't think I could enhance a show by doing that. That makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. Did you did you say there was a weekly television show in Lyons, Georgia? There was back in the maybe 2006 through 2008. Um, it had a little weekly UHF. It was on a Christian station. We were the number <laughs> two show out of like three. I think there was the first one was some kind of like home shopping thing on this Christian thing, and then there was us, and then there was like the actual church show. I think those were like the only three channels. Was, but anyway, our three shows. But uh. Yeah, we um that's where me and Brock's there, but that's where I met Brock. And then um he was the baby face the baby face announcer. And uh he was really good at it. And then once we closed that he uh he jumped on board the the Drew Blood train and we uh started kinda of barnstorming. But uh yeah, it was uh, we did a, it was U C C W is what it was called. We but we had lots of guys come through there. Um we didn't pay anything. It was like a little mini, you know, anarchy wild side. Down Alliance, we ran every single week. I wrestled probably four times. I'd be under a mask, like two matches, or there'd be something. I wrestled singles, and mm-hmm. we'd do a tag team. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, but it was just working with uh, some green guys, trying to get in. Like I said, that's where uh, you know Sugar Sugar D. He was Jamar Acid down there. Um, I gave him oh, yeah. the gear. So uh, yeah, I mean, like he, he wrestled with us all the time. Um, I think he won his first title from me. Or from I mean I was a, I was the matchmaker slash booker, but I'm pretty sure that it was his first belt was with us. And then um you know, like I said, uh Don, it was it was Dine, the Logan Creed. I did a lot of stuff with him. Um I wrestled a lot in the uh, SGWA, which is when Hazel in Hazelhurst like Bordell and guys like, there's a lot of good yeah. talent down there in South Georgia that never really came up. Jake Slater, those kind of guys, um, that never really went north of I uh, sixteen. Drew, as a guy who's, um, you know, you've, you've booked and, and done that kind of thing, what's something that you learned once you had to kind of be the guy running the show that gave you sort of a different perspective? Because, I, I, you know, I try to hammer home to Hankins all the time. Like, there's a way that talent thinks, and then there's a way that the author, oh, yeah. quote-unquote, is supposed to think. Is there yeah. what's something that you, that you feel like you learned or you got a perspective on having to kind of well, run the show? Yeah, and running it uh, like for free, you know, or yeah, you know, we pay them with DVDs and stuff like that. So you learn a lot there. But um, I've kind of learned two things. One is the reason that like, and this has been well publicized, but it is true. Like the reason Vern Gagne was champ for you know fifty years was because he was the you know, he was going to show up, right? And that's kind of one thing. Like, but I never made myself yeah. a champion. I had other people, but like the tag team champion. So like you do, like well the Booker puts himself over. So well that's because I'm going to be here next. You know, um, then the other thing is you learn, and that's probably the biggest lesson that I learned being a booker slash wrestler was how do I get this guy over, make myself stay over, and keep it going every single week? And then if he leaves, how do I keep myself over? Like if I just put him over in a big match, I've got to get my heat back like the next week. How do I do it? And how does it keep? And so you, you're constantly playing with ideas and you're tweaking your persona here and there. And so, like, you know, that's really – it's sort of that art of staying over, like getting the other guy over and how yeah. we all do this together. And um, I think you learn that more booking 
than you do wrestling because you, you're responsible for it not just happening in your – whatever you're doing, you're responsible for it happening in six other matches, you know, so – and making sure that the guys are working together and things like that. So, yeah, you really – because you don't want to be on top all the time. People stop coming. So you really yeah. have to keep it fresh. So how do I get Junior here who, you know, can't even tie his freaking wrestling boots over, you know? And um, a lot of – well, and going off that, one thing I learned was – you don't have to freaking win. <laughs> you know, like the biggest, <laughs> and, and yeah. I can say this from Southern Pride, and Larry's probably attest to it. I probably have the worst record in Southern Pride. But, I mean, no uh, BS. I'm probably the most over guy there. But I lose all the time. But I learned that, you know, like, hey, you know, sometimes it's just more fun. So a lot of guys, like, we had this crazy old man that wanted to wrestle, and he it was, like, alcoholic and stuff. And, you know, and I was like, well, you're just going to be like the guy that gets beat, but you just don't quit, you know. And, of course, I mean, it was getting over like gangbusters, but then he wanted to win. Because he, he was super marking as an idiot. But, like, so they screwed up themselves. But I'm like, man, you were, like, getting huge reaction. They always want to win, Drew. Like, I, yeah, you know, I, know. I'm, I was, I I was in, like, reading Larry's Sacred Ground Report, like, Brandon Cage was in one of And he was the classic, like, He's so schlubby looking. I'm like, he can't win. I wouldn't even let him get an offensive move in for months when we were doing no. shows twice a week. And, of course, as soon as I get him, gave him a little something, then it was like – I always joke that every wrestler's idea ends with, and then I win the title. Like, right. that's yeah, kind of the crux and of the, the, the ideas, you know. And they people really need to get, like, a good – and I, I learned – I guess I learned this booking, you know, like, when I first started wrestling – I was much more like a straight, I have like a good amateur background and stuff like that, but um, I wrestled in college and things, but kind of who I wanted to be. And I was going to be this technical guy. And it was still kind of new then because a lot of guys are still like, they wanted to be like Sandman, especially down in South Georgia. There's a lot of wrestling down there with canes and, you know, kendo sticks and stuff. So it was something different. Um, and then it sort of evolved, but I had to like take a serious look at myself. Like, okay, I like, I'm in good shape, but I don't like, I don't juice. You know, which is, a, you're, I mean, that's just, be honest, you're not going to get in without doing it. I don't care what drug testing you have. And I don't do any of that stuff. So, like, I'm not going to cosmetically make it. I'm not real tall. So what can I do that's going to fit me? And everybody has something that can get over. I mean, it doesn't matter what you look yeah. like. But you have to be, you can't force something down. You can't be, like you said, schlubby and have baggy pants and kick pads and then go out there and, and you're doing power moves, and you look like you're 13 years old and been playing video games your whole life. Like, that doesn't work because the fans don't buy it. But they would buy that you were a 13-year-old and played video games your whole life, and you figured out some kind of way to win or manipulate things because you've been watching video games. Like, that would be funny and get over. But you have to, like, be who you are and be realistic. So, like, well, I mentioned Cody McCauley. You know, he doesn't look like he could, you know, he doesn't look like he could bust a grape get him over I know exactly what to do and it would require him losing until it was time for him to win you know like and stuff like that so I that's what I really enjoy doing but I'm eating up your air time here I'm sorry well no no just 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 a comment I love it that you have the um amateur wrestling background and you do this uh your your um persona so to speak totally belies that you know I mean that you actually that you have that background but but you do have it. I, I love it. Do you, do you have um, aspirations to book again? Ah, uh, no. And I'll give Todd <laughs> some credit here. I'll give Todd a little shine here. Uh, my as I've gotten older, my temperament for it has really gone out the door. Like, 
he's very calm. He's, you know, he doesn't get upset. He does you know, he knows he listens to everybody's BS and people not showing up and he doesn't blow his top about stuff. Um, and I, I was like that at one point, but, and I also, I'm so disconnected from the scene now that I don't have right. any credibility. And so like, you know, he can get guys to come in. He can get Jimmy Rave to come in. And he right. Can get these guys to come booking, in. Yes. Cause guys don't understand booking. Isn't just matchmaking. It's who right. can you get to come in? And, and that's, that's a to, major part of it. Who can you talk into doing stuff? Like I might yeah. get Jimmy Rave to come, but he's not like, oh, Jimmy, I'd like you to put this, and he'd probably know or something, you know, like I don't have any relationship. So that, you know, a lot of that, and I had that down there, especially because they weren't paying guys and they're all green anyway. So I was training them anyway. But, you know, here, if I told a guy, you know, I, I, I see this or something, you know, probably, chances are if he doesn't like it, he's not going to come back, you know. So I don't have, I don't think I would be effective in that role. I have good ideas, but um, nobody's going to follow through with them. So, and I don't, I don't travel anymore. I don't go, you know, this is the only place I wrestle now. So I don't, I don't have those, you know, connections and relationships to, to really effectively do it. Gotcha. Drew, I have a final question and it's, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty simple one. Yeah. What, you know, throughout the years, like the guys with, the athletes with great personalities um, ever since Muhammad Ali have all, always been about making predictions of what's going to mm-hmm. happen in the fight. Absolutely. What's your prediction of what's going to happen with you and Todd Sexton? My prediction is that it's going to be uh, a lot less eventful than um, everybody thinks. And I know that's probably not the best way oh. to tell a show, but, uh, oh. you know, I think uh, seeing the, uh, Dramalessness of it unfold will be uh, worth the price of admission. Wow! If that makes any sense. So at all. you're you're basically saying Todd is going to be much more ineffectual than people are hoping he will be overall. Yes, Todd is going to be severely let down. Uh, he's really hoping for uh, some some great stuff, and I, I just don't think that uh, he's going to find it. You know where he's looking for it. So, Larry, do you have a hey, final question for Drew? Well, uh, the, this, yeah, I'm wondering, do you um, pay attention to wrestling on the major league level? And if no, so, what I are have your not thought? watched Raw since 2001. But uh, and that's, oh, that's a really? straight up shoot. Yes, I have no. I keep up on the message board. I go on this message board, WrestlingClassics.com, which they talk about classic wrestling. I, I love doing that. I like to talk about because I'm a connoisseur and historian of anything before 2001. But um, I've kept up with stuff. You know, like if Hogan, when Hogan came back, I watched that Mania right, with the Gifts of Rock. Um, and I've not seen another one since. But, I, you know, but I keep – like I'll YouTube some stuff. Like um, I like Shawn Michaels. So I'll, YouTube, so I'll see some things that he did. Um, I bought some DVDs. You know, so, so I, I mean, I'm in the very far reaches of the loop, the outer ring of – Saturn's, you know, but um, to me, what happened, I know everybody has their philosophy, but this is what turns me off from that, is in the late 90s, early 2000s, wrestling with the rise of UFC. You could have gone, you know, UFC, basically, that replaced, like, if you want to see fighting and who's going to win, that took, that took wrestling's audience for there. And wrestling had to choose, like, are we going to be, like, a show, like an entertainment show? And we're going to have characters and gimmicks and we're going to and really progress like that, you know, like the attitude era was a lot like that, you know. 
and they still have compelling stories, or are we going to become like MMA light? And that's what to me the Indians have become. Like all these guys are just like, it's like, oh look at that stiff match. It's like, but why? I can watch like the real that fight shit. over here. Preach <laughs> that shit. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard it put so succinctly and so well that it is so. MMA light, and that's what bothers me about sort of the modern, like, fucking yeah. 20 false finish game going yeah. on. It's, it's yes. supposed to be like, we, we want to be like, oh, look what great athletes these are. It's like, that's not the point. I mean, they're just like ice skaters. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, yay, ice skating, but that's what I look at. I'm like, okay, look what you did. And, but rap, pro wrestling is stories. I mean, it's stories. It's like, and it's heroes and villains and it's characters. I mean, it's stories. I mean, nobody's there anymore. I mean, nobody believed it to begin with. They said the biggest marks in the business were the wrestlers. You know, oh, they got to keep protecting this. Don't. Like, but, I mean, it's funny that I'm saying that because I'm kind of doing it. But, um, but you know, that's what people want. And so that's, I think that that's where, it, you know, in a lot of, because the territories and the developmental system dried up, what WWE seems to have, from my limited knowledge, is a lot of indie guys that were doing MMA light. They go up there, and they have no idea how to tell a story. They have no idea how to do that. And, I mean, these guys now, I mean, no offense to anybody doing it, but they're like locusts. They just travel from show to show. They get way overpaid, and they don't contribute to the crowd size. They don't contribute to the next show because they're not coming back, you know, for another six months. I got no time for it, you know, so – like, you really need to build your show, build your stories, and promote that. And I'm, I'm sure there's an audience for that. I know that there is, but, like, but those guys came from that where they just came from all, you know, I worked 100 shows this month. I was like, well, that's great. But you didn't tell any stories. You didn't build any angles. And so now you're on TV every week, and you don't know how to do it, you know. And people can blame the writers all they want to, but if you can't give the promo, I mean, Al Pacino could take that dribble that they write, and make it compelling. So you better figure it out, you know, because that's what it is. Yeah. Yes, I, I, and I think, you know, symptomatic of that MMA light thing is is sort of the way that indie wrestlers behave on social media, where, you know, yeah. the thing is you, you got to thank the guy for your match. I mean, it, it smacks of, yeah. it smacks of, you know, Conor McGregor and and Mayweather spend weeks building up this animus for each other to sell tickets and then the fight's done and then McGregor's got nothing but great things to say about Floyd. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of that, you know, they, they beat each other up and then they hug thing that they do in MMA. Yeah. And now like wrestling reflects that where it's like, you know, I just want to thank so-and-so for a great match. I don't think it's like the, the end all be all like that's ruining the bet's killing the business. I just think it's sort of symptomatic of this yeah. following, you know, basically imitating instead of innovating. Which is basically what you're saying about wrestling. Yeah, and it's, uh, like I said, uh, you know, guys beating up on each other just to, to shake, yeah, like I said, like to shake hands at the end or something like that. And it's just like, I don't know, like I'm not, I know that I, I had a friend that went to the, uh, I don't know the name of it. It was a combination show. It was supposed to be a big deal um, a few months ago. And But anyway, there was a comedy match there. I don't know the guys. I'm not ripping on them. I'm just doing what I was told. But like basically it was like wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, this is all funny and we're going to be, you know, like it's all fake. And it's like, okay, well, everybody, like, it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't want my wrestling to be ironic. I want you to be into it. I want you to believe what you're doing. And I want you to compel me to be interested. I don't care how ridiculous it is. You know, I want you to be like, don't be ashamed that you're in your tights, fake wrestling or fake fighting with another grown man. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't wink, wink, nod, nod to me. Do it, you know, and get me into it. So, absolutely. How refreshing. 
Well, Drew, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And Absolutely. I mean, people should definitely check out the Southern Fried Show with you and Todd. I, it, I, it's one of those where I would rarely go to a show when I was in the area that wasn't mine, but I, I think I, I think you sold me. Like I would go oh. to that match. <laughs> and I so, the date. It's this Saturday. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. It's this Saturday at seven at the Felker Gym. There we go. Get my <laughs> nicely in. done. Nicely done. Thank you. Well, Thanks, all right, Drew. guys. I'll let you get to. Uh, I'll see y'all later. Hopefully, I'll see uh, Larry at the show and Stephen. It was nice talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thanks. Also on that show, I should mention, we've got uh, SFCW champion Odinson versus Judas. The aforementioned uh, Chip Hollis versus, I'm sorry, Corey Hollis versus Chip Day, and uh, Jeremiah versus Jimmy Raven, a 30-minute Ironman, among other things. So a good one. And the Felker Gym is a really nice venue for a show. So there's my plug. But let's get on to Mr. Bobby Heenan. And joining us at this time to talk about uh, Bobby Heenan is Mr. Trent Van Dries from, at least now, from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, welcome to back to the Tipping Point, Trent. Am I the main event tonight? You're the main event tonight. I'll say it. Larry's too proud to say it, Trent. So I will say it. You are the main event tonight. Well, what kind of a shit show is this, then? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you telling? <laughs> so, so Stephen, you're going to have to bear with two guys who grew up watching Bobby Heenan talk about the, the Bobby Heenan we knew and loved, who, which was, you know, like the the, the people only know him from WWE. Don't have, just don't know. I, I I can't wait to hear. In fact, I think that that's the perspective that needs to be out there. People are saying all the right things. He's the greatest manager of all time. And I, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the stuff that he did in AWA amongst other places, that's the stuff that I mean, I was blown away. I mean, I'm going to let you guys talk, of course, but I mean, it was those wrestling magazine covers with Bobby Heenan covered in blood. That was the first stuff that I remember when I was a kid in like the late, the mid to late seventies where I just went, wow. You know, like it was one of those things that just instantly attracted me to pro wrestling. It was Bobby Heenan doing it. So we'll go back to my earliest wrestling memories, which is Bobby Heenan. This is the this is the Bruisers promotion, WWA. And unfortunately, sadly, I could not find one piece of footage of a Bobby Heenan interview from W from those days. Apparently, all that stuff was really? destroyed, like they did. You know, they taped over it. Not one Bobby Heenan interview. And these were done in Indianapolis, and the show host was a guy named Chuck Marlowe who wind up being the uh, announcer for University of Indiana basketball and hosted the Bobby Knight show for almost 30 years. A very well-respected sports announcer. And Heenan would get on there. And this and he, what, he was, what, 22 years old, 23 years old? And he was just amazing. The, the heat he could get and the way he could talk, um, it's what, you know, it was – what really got me into wrestling was were those interviews from that we used to call it the basement. It looked like a basement they taped it in Indianapolis. But um, Trent, what 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 comes to mind for you for early for uh, Heenan? I know that was more AWA time for you. 
AWA, yeah, because I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I started watching in 1972, and I just remember the interviews especially. I remember the uh, – you remember the breakup they did with Ray Stevens when he got kicked out of the Heenan family? I think in 74, mm-hmm. 75, where they ended up breaking a trophy over Ray Stevens's head. That's one of the early ones I remember. And just funny stuff like, you know, wrestling came on in Green Bay at 1030 on Saturday night. And uh, we were eating ice cream with uh, peanuts on it. And he comes on there and he says, Grandma, put that ice cream down. You don't need that. Put that pizza down and Grandma, put that ice cream down. And she goes, Jesus Christ. He's <laughs> in our freaking living room. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the greatest things in that AWA era trend like, that I loved is the Nick Bockwinkle quote, which is, Bobby could do what Ray could do. Bobby could do what yeah. I could do, but neither one of us could do what Bobby did. And I thought that yeah, was one of the, yeah. you know, so great. And the thing is, people talk about the pairing with Bachwinkle and Heenan, probably the greatest pairing ever put together by Wally Carbo, you know, but Bachwinkle didn't need a mouthpiece, but those guys just enhanced each other so much and they just became so inseparable. And, you know, it's hard to think of one without the other. To me, that's the greatest manager wrestler period of all time. And I was, as I was talking to Larry yesterday, and tell me what you think of this, Stephen. Can you name a better all-around performer in wrestling history than Bobby Heenan as an all-arounder? No. I, in fact, I was going to say, you know, Bobby Heenan being the greatest manager is sort of like the foregone conclusion. But I'm interested in the fact comprised of he was the, he's the greatest bumping manager ever. He's yeah. the greatest physical performer as a manager ever. Um, I mean, you you can just, so to answer your question, best overall, boy, it's hard to argue against it. It really is. If you look at, if you look at his promos, you know, up there on promos, I wouldn't say best ever, but they're certainly up there. An underrated wrestler. I mean, he was actually a good worker and he, when he did wrestle, nobody knew his role better than Bobby Heenan. Uh, Just a heat seeking machine. One of the funniest people, one of the quickest wits, one of the best commentators ever. You know, you talk about a guy that did did everything at such a high degree. I don't know anybody else ever did that. You know, people don't think of him as a wrestler so much, but he was a, a you know, he, he wrestled like a manager and managed like a wrestler, but he was actually a really effective wrestler when he did wrestle. So well, He also had again. a knack of, oh, I'm sorry, Larry, he also had a knack of setting a stage picture unlike anybody else. I mean, if I say, you know, post-match Hogan-Andre, you can see it in your mind's eye. It's Andre staring at Hogan as he's posing, and it's Heenan with his head down. Like, he always had a knack of just telling the story with the greatest pictures, because there's there's decades where it was the picture that mattered. It was the picture that you remembered from magazines. It was, you know, yeah. Abdul yeah. the Butcher got more over because of pictures of him than anything else. And Bobby Heenan and was the best at finding a camera and setting the scene quickly yeah, with that, an image. That, that's that's right. And just, uh, as again, as I talked to Larry, you know, his dramatic uh being chased around the ring, getting in the ring, and taking that bump over the top rope as he's being chased by the babyface. Nobody did was, that like Bobby Heenan. Just a panic-stricken look that he would was have. Was he still doing that by the time he got to WWE, or he stopped that because of you know the, he, the wear and tear? Was he still doing that spot? I don't he, remember. He, he, oh, my he God. Did, he, 
Matilda. Anytime, anytime the bulldog yeah, went right. after him, he was doing that. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, he's famous for that spot. But he did a less exaggerated version, Larry. But he still did it. So, yeah, because yeah, but as Trent said, when in his in his in his younger days, when he get hauled into the ring and the baby faces had him in there, the he would whip that crowd into the into a frenzy because he'd be running around, running around until he went over the top, just barely hooking the top rope right to the just floor. Barely. It was yeah, it was I tremendous. Mean, yeah, I mean, and there's, there was something about I think part of it was his skin tone and the blonde hair, but. His blood, officially live, oh, yeah. his blood was was a brighter shade than other guys. I don't know how to describe it. It was just bright red blood. You know, it was just it was. The picture of him caked. The, the picture of him caked in blood, where all you see are his wide eyes, looking yes. terrified. Is it, it's one of the three greatest wrestling pictures ever taken. I would argue, ever taken. So, yeah, he, say no more. Yeah, he's you know there's there's just never never been anybody like him. There'll never be anybody like him again. Nobody compares to him. You know, I mean, you think of how many tickets that guy sold. You know, the the first wrestling card I ever went to in 1976, I walked in the arena. You know, you've heard your first show, you're kind of wowed, and there was a group of Laotian people talking, and I didn't understand one word they said except Bobby Heenan. That's who they were talking about. You know, this guy, he was the star. He was, I don't know. He was kind of the main draw in a way, you know what I mean? I don't know if he was in Chicago, but in Green Bay, he was—I would say—he's the main draw. I, I, you know, there's only so I, yeah. I first saw him in six. It was 1967. It was the first show I went to in the Chicago Amphitheater. Bruiser and Crusher were on top against Heenan and his team, the Devils Do, and all three of them. You know, the the, the one of them was Angelo Poffo, You know, uh, Randy Savage's dad. They all had yeah. the platinum blonde hair. But it was, as you're saying, is when he came out, the, I had oh. never experienced anything like that, never even been to a live show. The, they had that kind of heat and in, in reaction from people to seeing that guy. It was really was something. So, he was so hateable. Now, I always, you know, I always thought he was funny as hell, but he was just one of those fuckers you wanted to punch in the face. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, and instantly. And even that name, think of the name Heenan. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Even that name is. And I, I heard today. I, I hadn't thought of this. You know, his real name was Raymond Lewis Heenan, but um, one urban legend story. It may be true that Bruiser gave him Bobby for uh, manager Bobby Davis, who was a manager of Buddy uh, Rogers in the in the nineteen sixties. Hmm. That, that may be where he got the Bobby from. So just a little You're... trivia there. I, I can't I can't confirm that, but that may be where he got the Bobby part from. But yeah. I mean, we could go on for days, you know. And, you know, just the guy's wit, as people have said, too. This guy could have been on a sitcom, Stephen. Nobody yeah, absolutely. Like this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had the wit that nobody – could you imagine today trying to script Bobby Heenan? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what, a, what a tragedy that would be. And uh, you guys ever heard the story when they were doing – a? An interview on AWA one time with Gene Okerlund, and uh, they had a a contract or something, and and Bobby said, "Gene, look at this, look at this," and apparently it was a centerfold of a Hustler magazine with the spread <laughs> wide open. <laughs> <laughs> and he was close, calling people humanoids and calling people ham and eggers and. 
Ham and Eggers. Yeah, Ham and Eggers. Ham and Eggers. Or uh, talking about the guy selling the newspapers at the Omaha airport. And, my God, you know, all this stuff. You, you ever heard the story about him and Andre the Giant on the plane, Stephen? You know this one? No, please tell us, yes. This is this is in the mid-'80s when Andre was in really bad physical shape and his body was had turned on him, and Andre hated people by this time. He just was sick of people. And they got on a plane, and a stewardess came up and said, you know, can I get you anything? And Andre said, screwdriver. <laughs> the stewardess ran off, and she came back a minute later with a screwdriver, the tool, a screwdriver, <laughs> you know. And Andre wanted a drink, you know. Sure. And Andre's staring at her, and Bobby Heenan looks at the stewardess, and he said, what would you have brought if he had said Bloody Mary? <laughs> well, you, you know, we're almost out of time, but I thought it would be great yeah. if 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 uh, the three of us each sort of shared like just a great Bobby Heenan moment, you know, just took a moment and thought about it. And uh, here's, I'll, I'll go first to give you guys yeah, time since you, I think your memories will be much cooler, but my, I'll, I'll just say my argument for Bobby Heenan is, is very simple. He was the one guy that was able to get Greg Gagne over I mean, it, they they went through a great deal of effort with Greg, and he certainly was a good talent and that kind of thing, but he never achieved clearly what Vern would have wanted him to achieve. But for a brief shining moment with all the weasel suit shit, like we, me and my friends took Greg Gagne seriously for the first and only time. And that's just pure Bobby Heenan. You know, I, I think Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart are the only two managers that can claim that territories really ran around them secretly. Yeah. Like you said, like Bobby Heenan was the draw in secret. I think he and, and, you know, Jimmy Hart in Memphis, I think those are the two guys who are sort of like the beating hearts of those promotions, even if they're not the guys who are credited with it. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I, 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 I'll actually expound on what you said, Stephen. You know, my grandfather, I guess I'll just expound on what you said on that very match. My grandfather hated pro wrestling, thought it was the dumbest shit in the world. But as they were building up, you know, the weasel suit match, which the, do you know, do you know what the bill for that was, Stephen? How they built that up? What was it? Please. It was supposed to be Greg Gagne versus Bobby Heenan on TV. Now, this was a big deal because it was 99% squash matches in those days. This was a marquee match. And as the match was supposed to start, Bobby Heenan came to the ring with his arm in a sling and claimed that his personal position in Beverly Hills claimed he could not wrestle this match. And that was the impetus to start, you know, the weasel chants and all this stuff. And one thing led to another, and that, that, that was the impetus for the weasel suit match down the road at the house shows. Because when Greg Gagne turned his back, Bobby Heenan Pearl Harbor, I should add that. Greg Gagne. <laughs> you know, so that, that was the uh, impetus for the match. So my grandfather hated, hated, hated pro wrestling. But he watched this build up, and then the final thing they did was Bobby Heenan had Gene Okerlund show a, a weasel on the screen, and Bobby Heenan told the director, he said, okay, when I give you the signal, 
show Greg Gagne's face on that weasel. That's what's going to happen. Well, you know, when he gave the signal, they show Bobby Heenan's face instead, you know. On the weasel. <laughs> right. You know, that was, you know, but my grandfather said, I've got to go see this shit. Bobby Heenan sold my wrestling-hating grandfather a ticket. You know, that's how powerful <laughs> he was. And that was one of the few times in Green Bay that, you know, they actually came close to a sell. I would say the place was about 98% full and and Bobby Heenan delivered, you know, when he when he got knocked out with the sleeper and he came to and he's acting like a cat and he gets up and he slips and he goes through the ropes and the tail of the weasel suit got caught in the ropes. Some fucking how? I don't even know how mm-hmm. he did that, but the, the tail was like tied to the ropes so he's on the apron kicking his feet. I, you know, it was unbelievable performance, you know, by this guy. <laughs> and then, and yeah. And then not only that, I mean, I already knew that wrestling was fake, but that was kind of a kayfabe-breaking moment for me because um, uh, they sold magazines at the uh, news at the newsstands, the uh, newsstand, but just at the merchandise table there, and it had pictures of the Weasel Suit match from Minneapolis. And when I looked at the pictures, I realized it was the same fucking match I saw in Green Bay. <laughs> the pictures, you know, but, then, but you know, but that, that only made me a preformer that much more. I mean, this guy went out and do, did this in probably twenty cities, you know, and every and just been able to, to to get my grandfather to buy a ticket for a wrestling match. You know, that's like uh, that, that's like a Catholic at a tent revival. You know what I mean? That was a tough yeah. sell. <laughs> Bobby Heenan got it done. <laughs> Go ahead, Larry. Mine is uh, 1979 when uh, Heenan and Bockwinkle came to Georgia, and oh, you know yeah. I couldn't I couldn't believe it because of course I grew up watching Heenan and the the last guy I ever expected to show up in Georgia was Bobby Heenan, and to watch them yeah. do it all over again and take a take people that didn't know them and get that heat. They also, at that time, Crusher came down and had a yeah. run down yeah, here. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, that summer. Yeah, and whatever, yeah. The, the thing I remember was it built, and I don't remember what happened this particular night, but they were all there. But what I do remember is bottles began being thrown through the air. At the, at the city oh, auditorium, they actually oh, served beer in bottles. And, Bad idea. And, uh, hmm? <laughs> yes. Bad idea. Yeah, and I well, I, and so and beers, beer, and bottles were flying through the air. Well, that was the end of the bottles. Next week it was cans. No more bottles being being sold at the city auditorium. But yeah, that that was the kind of heat those guys could get. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, they 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 actually got shot at in Chicago. They they were in the ring, and uh, I think one said the other. Uh, they heard it, and it was like. Is that firecrackers? And I think one of the cops at ringside said, uh, "That's gunshots, guys. Get the fuck out!" Good <laughs> lord. <laughs> yeah, never, there'll never be another. There'll never be another. No. I mean, it's it's sad. It's it's such a sad irony that a guy with that gift of gab, you know, lost his ability to speak. You know, that's such a sad, sad thing. And and to suffer for what, fifteen years with cancer? My God, you know, all this that guy went through is it's, it's sad, but. He had a lot of spirit. He lasted a long time, and you know. And I mean, you know, his his legacy is not only assured in wrestling, but if people have never read his the wrestling book that he wrote, 
isn't as great as it could have been, but it's very good. And then he wrote another book that was basically not about wrestling that um, is also quite inspirational. It's it's clear that he was a very thoughtful man. Um, Pretty amazing thing. And uh, if you haven't seen what superstar Billy Graham said about Bobby Heenan, it's definitely worth checking out. It, it, mm-hmm. Superstar Graham, you know, uh, you know, half the time when he, you start to read something that he said, you know, you flinch. But this was just a rare, lucid moment. And so that's another testament to Bobby Heenan that, you know, even superstar Billy Graham could pull it together and say something really insightful and lucid about Bobby Heenan. Yeah, I, I just want to say thanks, Bobby Heenan, because he provided me memories that uh, last me a lifetime. And, you know, I don't know that he single-handedly made me a fan, but, boy, he, sh- he sure helped. <laughs> he yeah. sure helped. And, and and Larry and I were just lucky to be living in that area to, you know, where the greatest manager ever was. We just got lucky to see that. Maybe, you know, a lot of people didn't. So it was just dumb luck on our part. Yeah, and he was pure Chicago, his style and oh, so yeah. forth was right out of Chicago all the way. <laughs> thank you, Bobby. Absolutely. Yes. Thank oh, yeah. you, Bobby. And uh, thank you, Trent and Larry. Uh, definitely a moving and appropriate tribute to Bobby the Brain Heenan. I was hoping you guys would have a promo queued up. I'm bummed if you don't. Well, that's what I was going for was that one of the, and I could not find what WWA one is what I wanted to use, so I'm sorry. Okay. I can only find Bockwinkle okay. and Heenan stuff, and I wanted one an old one, so yeah, sorry about that. Oh, man. Well, thanks a lot, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> Humanoid. You Hammenager. <laughs> Taco Bender. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. That's another one, yeah. That's a good one, too. <laughs> I love it. I'll always I I'll, I shouldn't share something else, but I'm going to because it reminds me of with you know but it's no secret that Bobby hated like his WCW run and he wasn't in the best it, of shape it, it, for it. Just hated it. But I I do I will always love him sort of preemptively ruining the Hogan heel turn. It is one, it is guaranteed to make me laugh is dusty sort of stammering. Like what, what are you? He's just like, yeah, but what size he on? Dusty stammering. What, what are you talking about? And I just thought it was like only Bobby Heenan could flummox the other guy who's in the universe as far as a talker with Bobby Heenan. (laughs) Dusty Rhodes, he flummoxed (laughs) Dusty Rhodes. You know, and Bobby Heenan and Bobby Heenan helped get Goldberg over too. He was a big Goldberg supporter, you know. And he yes. was, you know, he wasn't the same at time, but his his commentary, he he was real mad when Goldberg got beat, but he he really pushed hard on commentary to get Goldberg. Or he, you know, he didn't do it single handed, but he he helped a little bit, I think. You know? I love that Bobby Heenan did not play things strictly um, yay heel boo babyface, but he yeah. had a viewpoint. Yeah as an autonomous character. And it was just like, I don't care if Hogan's a heel or a face. I hate Hogan. And I thought that that was one of the greatest things ever where, you know, he's his famous call. I mean, he had that famous call when Goldberg is grabbing Hogan for the jackhammer. He's like, do it, do it. This is your whole life. Like he just wanted with every fiber of his being for him to beat Hogan. It was just great. 
And when you said that, that gave me a chill because, yeah, it was every fiber of his being. And people talk about, I believe it's the 92 Royal Rumble call he did when Ric Flair was in there the whole time. You know, and Bobby, he's like, please, God, please, I'll never cheat again. I'll never lie again. Please. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, it's like, golly. <laughs> you know, that, you know, he, when he really turned it on, oh, boy. You know? Yeah. Make you believe. Yeah. So, yeah. A performer that gave 100% and had a whole lot to give in the first place. So just yeah. phenomenal. But, uh, oh, yeah. but, um, are we are we back next week, Larry, with Tipping Point? I don't think so. Oh, thank we could be. Christ. <laughs> but um, maybe the week after, because uh, Gary Michael Capetta wants to come on. So um, oh, cool. I'll see I'll I'll see what's good for him, and uh, we'll have him Let's as a guest on the next Tipping Point. But thank you so much, Trent. I'll I'll always thank respect you. and love you for uh, calling Doc Gaten out. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. like first time I heard you, I was just like. Oh, somebody said it. I can't believe it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, who better to talk about Bachwinkle and now Bobby Heenan than you? So thank you so Absolutely. much. And I believe Gary Muscle Capet, fact, I know he is. He's bringing this one man show here to Louisville in early November. So there's a shot. I might go see it. There's a chance. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's um, he's doing he's doing the South for so he's going to be in Georgia. Uh, Tampa yeah. and then Orlando. I'm helping him promote the Orlando part of the show. So yeah, yeah. But I think, we'll I think he, yeah, he said he's coming to because he, he was on Cornet Show and said he's coming to Louisville. I thought that eh, might be interesting. We'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. All right, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll enjoy it. All right. Thanks. Well, have a have a good night, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Tipping Point. Rest in peace, Bobby the Brain Heenan. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.